Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Together, We're going to go to Psalm 127. This is the eighth psalm, so we're at the midway point in this series, our Psalms of Ascent. So this is the middle psalm. Psalm 127, I want to ask two very important questions for us all to consider and for us to answer. And the first question is this, this morning, is do you want your life to count? Do you want your life to count? And when we talk about our life counting, we're talking about purpose. What is the purpose of your life? Do you want your life to have purpose? And the second question builds on that first question, and it is this. Do you want your life to continue to count after your time on earth comes to an end? And this is posterity. This is to future generations, all right? That's what posterity is. It's leaving behind. It's sending ahead for future generations a legacy. So this Psalm 127, we're calling this this morning, this is a song of significance for our lives to count and to continue to count even after our time comes to an end here on earth. How can this be possible? How can our lives count and continue to resonate after we are dead and gone? How does our response, how do we answer that question, and how does that answer square with Scripture? So today, it's a very practical message. We talk about work. We all love work. We have jobs to do, honey-do list, maybe around the house, whatever it might be. Work, family, and community. How does the scripture instruct us in these ways? We're studying these songs for the road. So as pilgrims would have set out, they would have been making their journey to Jerusalem to worship. Undoubtedly, there were times when people would say, you know what, is this trip really worth this? All this hassle? Kids in tow and the donkey struggling and whatever might be going on. If you've ever been on a trip, you've asked yourselves those questions. Like, I don't know, maybe we should have waited. Maybe we weren't planned enough. Maybe we didn't have all the right maps. Maybe we didn't get everything we needed to have. Is this trip really worth it? When that worshiper would have been in Zion, in Jerusalem, worshiping in the temple, worshiping in the house of the Lord, they would have been hearing the word of God. They would have been singing the praises of God. They would have been filled with joy. And as they leave, undoubtedly they would have said, you know what is worth it? Maybe you're watching online at home today. You're here. Whatever went into your decisions to be here today, whatever the struggles were, getting the kids ready, getting the things all in order, and you're here and you're worshiping. Is it worth it? Have you made a choice that is wasting your time? Or have you made a decision to worship God today and you're investing your time? That's the question that we want to ask about our lives. Every generation has a responsibility to pass the faith along to the next generation. The psalmist says in Psalm 145 and verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty 
acts, your mighty works, your mighty deeds. So it's the responsibility of every father, of every grandfather, of a grandmother and a mother to pass along, to do what this psalm says, and it's to tell the next generation about God and his mighty acts, his mighty works. How well are we doing at this? Psalm 127, you follow along there. It'll also come up on the screen, but let's listen to what the word of God says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father, thank you for your word. Will you help us by your spirit to understand your word and apply it to our lives and make us more like Jesus? If someone is listening today and they don't, they don't know why they're here, they don't know why they're living, I pray that your word and your spirit and your messenger, you will work all of that together to give them hope to give them purpose and significance. Lord, we need this, and it's found in you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. In this, in this series, all right, our Psalms of Ascent, where have we been so far? I'm just gonna go through these briefly. Psalm 120, that's where we begin. The Lord is my deliverer. Psalm 121, the Lord is my helper. Looked up above the hills. Psalm 122, the Lord is my peace. He looked up to the house of the Lord. Psalm 123, the Lord looks up to the, the, the Lord is my master. The psalmist looked up to the heavens. Psalm 124, the Lord is my salvation. Psalm 125, the Lord is my protector. When he's on your side, no one can stand against you and win. Psalm 126, the Lord is my restorer. We saw that last week. He turned the events around. And today, Psalm 127, the Lord is my provider. We're talking about the providence of God, that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James tells us. So this is what we want to unpack, all right? This is what we want to lay out and unpack this morning. Under the provident hand of God, my life becomes eternally significant, okay? So I'm back to that question. Do you want your life to be significant for all eternity? Do you want your life to count forever, to be significant forever then, here's, and we're going to answer this in two ways from Psalm 127. First of all, here's our response, to live with a divine purpose. Then I can choose to live with a divine purpose. And we see this in verses 1 and verse 2. Here's the wisdom that we need for us to invest our lives and to wisely build a house, protect a community, and earn a living. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is what Ario White says. He says, no house is well built, securely guarded, or provisioned without God. Without divine favor, all human effort is, and here's where he pulls from the psalm, where it says, vanity, vanity, vanity. is in vain, in vain, in vain. I want you to live with a divine purpose. Life is wasted when I am at the center. Life is wasted when I am at the center. Unless the Lord builds the house. If I'm at the center of all things, you, can, you have to personalize that for you. If you are at the center of your existence, that's how we waste our lives. What I think, what I want, what I do, who I am, where I want to go, what I want, all of those things. If I am at the center of my existence, it is a guaranteed recipe for wasting my life. Now, the Bible provi- provides a theology for work. Work is not bad. Work is good. Even God in creation, six days he created, and the seventh day, what did he do? Just checking to see if you're still with me here. He rested. It wasn't because he was tired like you and I. We get tired. When God rested, he enjoyed the work of his creation. In in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it'll come up on the screen. This is what we have. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Okay, so there's the creation order, male and female. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Work is a privilege for man. In creation, God gave to man the responsibility to be a good steward of creation. It wasn't because after sin, now we have to work. No, work is good. Genesis 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, the Lord God took man, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So if you think back to when you were a kid and someone told you no, or even now, if someone tells you no, how does that sit with you? We don't like to be told no. But even in the garden, in the goodness of God, he said no, you can't eat of that tree. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 3 They ate of it. They ate of the fruit. Adam was deceived. Adam willing, uh, Eve was deceived. Adam willingly disobeyed. And so God comes, and here's the curse. Specifically, we're looking at the curse upon Adam, upon man, in verse 17 of Genesis 3. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, we've been through some time here of no rain. Thank the Lord it rained a little bit this week. All that's really thriving in my yard right now are thorns and thistles and weeds. They are not affected at all by drought. You notice that? I'm not alone in this. I'm like, I know I sprayed that one and that one and that one and that one, and there they are laughing at me, mocking me, while my grasp is, I just call it grasp. It's crispy. You put two words right together right there. Crispy grass, it just grasp. That's what I have in my yard. No need to mow except the weeds. And whatever that rotten grass is, it seems to grow and take over. It's all a curse. It's a reminder. Exodus 23, verse 12, work was to be suspended for everyone to rest. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Not talking about people from other planets, talking about people from other nations, part of your nation. And God says, I care about all people, I care about animals. Everyone needs rest, not just you and the people that bear your name. Leviticus 23 and verse 3, work was to be suspended so that everyone could worship. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So work in and of itself is not bad. Work is to be enjoyed. Work is to be, because we are created in the image of God, we're to enjoy working, but we're also to rest. It's in vain if we try to build a house without the Lord's help. The word here for house, unless the Lord builds the house, it can refer to the, you know, the lumber, the two-befores, the electrical, the plumbing, all the stuff that builds that. You got shingles, you know, all of that goes into the house, the building the house. But it also refers to the people. We just read in our reading this week from Ruth, and the Lord is building the house of David. Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. He's building a house. When David was concerned with building a house for the Lord, and the Lord is concerned with building a house for David, it can be interchangeable of the house, the place where they live, a house of worship, and also the people involved in that. Here we can substitute anything in here. And if I try and preach a sermon without the help of the Lord, it's in vain. If you try to build a family without the help of the Lord, it's in vain. You try to build a career without the help of the Lord, it's in vain. Your business, a nation, whatever we can engage in without the Lord's help, it's in vain. It's in vain to guard a city without the Lord's watching. You can have the best security system. I remember when those started coming out on the cars, you know, doot, doot, and make that sound. Those cars still get stolen. If the Lord is not guarding, if he is not watching over you, it doesn't matter who you have hired, it's insufficient if the Lord is not guarding. Now, what does Spurgeon say about this? Is, he, is, he, is the psalmist here prescribing some type of fatalism that, that we just, you know, it doesn't matter what we do, there's no value in what we do, so what's the point? No. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, note that the psalmist does not bid the builder cease from laboring, nor suggest that watchmen should neglect their duty, 
nor that men should show their trust in God by doing nothing. No. He supposes that they will do all that they can do, and then he forbids their fixing their trust in what they have done. Do you know what degrees I have? Do you know what places I've been? Do you know what my portfolio is like? Do you know how much I'm worth? All of those things that we can be tempted to put our trust in. Beloved, it's in vain to earn a living by working hard, by stressing out, to get ahead without the provision of the Lord. And here he talks about rising up early, staying up late. All right, so how many early birds are in here? You are early, you wake up early, that's your thing. Let me see the early birds. Raise your hand. All right, we got some early birds. Where are the night owls? You can stay up all hours of the night just burning the midnight oil. How many of you are both? You're like, I'm on both ends. I'm just up all the time. I don't need sleep at all. Well, you will at some point, right? Well, what good is it to be an early bird or a night owl without God at the center? You can be an athlete, I gotta work out, I gotta get in shape, I gotta get physical, I gotta do all that I gotta do, I work hard, I don't eat these foods. You can be a CEO, an artist, a movie star, a politician, whatever. If the Lord is not at the center, the psalmist is saying, you're wasting your life. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first priority. It's getting in the right order, and that's where all of these things find their place. What good is it to be a stingy workaholic eating the bread of anxious toil if you miss out on glorifying God as your chief aim? The one reason you are alive, the one reason you were born was to know God and to enjoy him forever, and you just missed that, but you had a whole lot of this and a whole lot of that. This is the sobering message of Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'd like to read the whole chapter. I'm not going to. I'm going to read the summation. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. This is what Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. That's why we opened our service with Ecclesiastes 12, 13, because he comes out the end of this dark tunnel of what's the point of building a business only to have somebody tear it down, uh, to gain this massive amount of wealth and to give it to my kid as an inheritance, and they just ruin the company and lose it all in a moment. What was the point of that? Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. It's your point, it's your reason, it's your purpose. And then all of the businesses and all of the events that we engage in, they find their place, they find their value. What does Jesus say? Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Okay, that's pretty good on your portfolio. I gained the whole world. But what's in the lost column? Your soul. And Jesus asked this piercing question. Or what shall a man give 
in return for his soul. Because you cannot purchase freedom in your soul though you own the world. It's still too costly. It required the shed blood of Jesus Christ to redeem you, to forgive you, to adopt you. So beloved, if I'm at the center of my life, if you are at the center of your life, you're wasting your life. Now, how do you do evaluation on that? How do you start your day? How do you end your day? What consumes your time and attention in throughout the day? Well, I do this and I do that and I go here and I go there. And I, I, where at what point in your life are you being reset, recalibrated from the one who made you? that you're stopping, that you're resting, that you're thinking about this question, that I'm in love saying, hey, don't waste your life. Pause, time out, come away. Are you spending or investing your life? Life is invested when God is at the center. There's no better way to live than this. We live with a divine purpose when we understand God is to be at the center of my life. And here we see God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And they go together unless the Lord blesses the labors and builds the house. When I understand that, then I'm going to work harder. I'm going to be more efficient as I build my life, build my family, build a ministry I want to be more effective. And Jesus promised, he said, I will build my church in Matthew 16, 18. So what do we do? We just say, well, then build it. But Jesus, he also said in Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Hang on a second, Jesus. I thought you said you were going to build your church. He will. And he sends us in this task. This is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And they're like two rails on a, on a railroad that the train goes down the tracks on. You need both. They're not intended to interrupt each other. God's sovereign, I'm responsible. Those two are parallel truths. The Lord Jesus promised to build his church and we have a responsibility to go make disciples so we can go into all nations and preach the gospel knowing he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We're not alone. He is the one doing the work. Unless the Lord blesses and watches over the city. This is the Lord, that our lives are invested when God is at the center. You'll stand your post if you're in the military, if you work security, if you're on watching over a family. You'll do a better job when you realize, I've been given this position by God. So I will do it in honor to him. Listen to what, now, now Benjamin Franklin did not claim to be a Christian. But after we came through the war with Britain and he recognized the protection, the providence of God in giving victories, listen, I'm just gonna read a little bit of what he said before they, they formed the Constitution in 1787. He said, in the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. 
All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And he said, and have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? At this point, he was 81 years old, and he says, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire should rise without his aid? And we have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so Benjamin Franklin, not claiming to be a believer, appealed that someone, a pastor would come from a congregation and every single meeting would be, this gathering would be opened in prayer by one or two of the pastors saying, we cannot forsake the one who has helped us in his providence. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. That's where blessing abounds. It's having the God as your Lord. He gives rest to his beloved after working diligently. Trusting in the sovereign hand of God, we work. We work hard. And then we rest, knowing that God is still working. While you were sleeping last night or trying to sleep, God was still working. He was sustaining you. He was carrying you. He was providing oxygen for you. He was keeping you alive. Just let this shine light on anxiety and worry and stress and all that we go through trying to make this happen and that, realizing that God is always working for our good and for his glory. Often when we are doing nothing for ourselves, God is doing most. I love that quote. Jesus when he was tired, he fell asleep in the boat. He wasn't worried. Disciples, we're going to die. You don't care about us. He cared. But his father was omnipotently watching over all events. He had nothing to fear. He wasn't going to die by drowning in a boat. He was going to lay down his life on a cross. He woke up, calmed the storm. When God is at the center of our existence, we can exchange the word strive, okay? There's anxiety, stress for the word stride. And, and when, we're, when we have a stride about us, it doesn't mean that we're exempt. We are not exempt from trials. We are not exempt from suffering. We are not exempt from pain. But we can be held by the omnipotent hand of our Father, and know that he is good. And know that he is working all things together for our good. And he will sustain us. He is not depending on us. We are completely, entirely dependent upon him. Amen? That's where we live. We don't ever want to move away from that. The world, is what Henry Melville said, the, the world would give its favorites power, wealth, and distinction, 
God gives sleep. God gives sleep. Richard Dixon's favorite verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, okay, this is after the great passage on the resurrection. There's a therefore. He lives, we will live. We're gonna be changed. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, empty, worthless. What was the point? It's not in vain in the Lord. So under the provident hand of God, my life becomes eternally significant when I, first of all, live with a divine purpose. And secondly, when I leave a devoted posterity. We see this in verses 3 through 5. The children are a heritage of the Lord. So here's the wisdom that you and I need to receive, to raise, and then release future generations for Christ. We need a biblical understanding of the family. I'm encouraging everyone, look at our statement of faith. It's online, what we believe. Under beliefs, look in Christian conduct. What do we believe about the family, about marriage, about the home? Because the home has taken hits from all sides. Marriage. Some of the things that threaten the family and marriage Immorality and adultery. There are young people who are not getting married. They just sleep together. They just act married. They move in together. It's dishonoring to marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says. It bought into the idea of friends with benefits. Materialism, I'm going to make my money, I'm going to get everything squared away, then maybe we'll have a family, then maybe we'll have children. Abortion, Roe versus Wade, put into law just before I was born, and we're somewhere over 60 million babies that have been aborted and not given the opportunity to live. Do the math on the numbers I have three children. We have three children. There are millions and millions of lives missing from our nation and from the world because of the sin of abortion. That's a threat. Divorce, been commonplace. It's an attack on marriage, God's institution. Homosexuality is another attack. Trying to change God's creative order, make it irrelevant. All of these things, all of these areas are going against what we see in Psalm 127, 3, 4, and 5. Children. Even Jesus, when he was pressed, because they already had John the, John the Baptist executed, when he questioned and, and, and confronted Herod about his divorce. And so they asked Jesus that question in Matthew 19, and he takes them all the way back to creation. Have you not read in the beginning? He created them male and female. 
in order to have a posterity, you have to have male and you have to have female. And that's all to happen within God's protective environment, marriage. It's where safety is. It's where acceptance is. It's where forgiveness abounds. God is concerned that we leave a posterity behind us. And I want you to not be ignorant of all of the threats. In one way or another, you may be dealing with, even today, or people that you love are dealing with. Then how? How do we respond? In love, but calling people to repentance. Calling people to follow after God. There's a way of wasting a life and investing a life And if you are at the center saying, I do this and I want to do that, you are wasting your life. Oh, that we would leave a devoted posterity behind us. We can leave a legacy that lasts in two ways. Literally, having children, adopting children in a a family, but then spiritually, because there are some that for one reason or another, they're not able to have children. They may live in singleness and not ever have children, but spiritually they can invest their lives into those who are coming behind and they can have an an influence that lasts for all eternity. So what does the psalmist give us here? How can we produce a legacy that abides? We have to understand this. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Literally, they're an inheritance of the Lord. They're the Lord's. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Remember the time I said fruit of the loom? Yep, that was a tongue tie, so I was working, I just might as well say it, so I I just have it out of the way, okay? We're not talking about underwear, we're talking about fruit of the womb. It's from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. First service, we had babies and kids everywhere in the first service. It was amazing. And I was able to look right at him and say, hey, you're a gift from God. You're a blessing. They're given generously from the Lord to all people groups, all nations, all nationalities, all social statuses, wealthy to poor. Children are a gracious gift from God. So may the Lord give to us young people who enter into marriage, who have babies, May the Lord open our eyes and hearts to even adopt so we have opportunities to dedicate infants one after another that they would be raised in the honor, nurture, and admonition of the Lord. Children are a stewardship from the Lord. As parents, we don't own them. If you have children, they're not yours ultimately. They're the Lord's and they're borrowed to you. They're borrowed to us. We're stewards of them. So let us raise them with the knowledge that we'll stand in account before their maker in coming days. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It does not mean that if you raise your child in church, there's no chance that they'll ever go wayward. But as you instill truth into their lives and as you invest into your children and into your grandchildren, you're binding truth about their neck so that if they do go wayward, they're going over all of that truth, all of that instruction that you have invested into their lives. 
Children are a heritage of the Lord. Children are a help from the Lord. They provide help. Starts out, they need us. It ends up, we need them. We give birth to them. Ladies, you carry them for nine months. Went through labor and delivery. Provide for them. Sustain them while they're growing up. But then children who are well-trained and loved will lead into a time where the parents cannot go. Verse 4 says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. They're compared to arrows. Arrows must be developed. Listen to what George Swinock says about the difference between sticks and arrows. He says, now we know that sticks are not by nature arrows. They do not grow so, but they are made so. By nature, they are knotty and rugged, but by art, they are made smooth and handsome. You can't take a stick, put something sharp on the end, and just launch it and see where that thing's going to go. Most likely, it's going to come back at you. Listen to this powerful quote from Henry Smith. He says, if they, talking about children, if they be well-bred, they shoot at their parents' enemies. And if they be evil-bred, they shoot at their parents'. That's pretty stiff. You see, arrows go farther, and they go faster than a warrior can go. So the psalmist is using this descriptive language. He's highlighting that we are raising our kids for a time when all things go in a normal fashion. We're raising them for a time we won't see. We won't be here. By the grace of God, Let us not waste these precious years. As a church, we need to make the most of the ministry that will take place from birth to college. And you're part of that. You're serving in that way, investing, watching, pouring your lives into children that we raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Children bring honor in the Lord. They're a heritage, they're a help, and they bring honor. There's an abundance of blessing when children are brought up in the love and in the fear of the Lord. Ephesians 6 talks about this. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. A full quiver is a blessing from the Lord. And here we see again the human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. There's a responsibility for that husband, for that father, but then it's the Lord who gives the fruit. It's the responsibility of the farmer to put the seed in the ground, but he cannot bring rain. The Lord does that. I think I said it last week. I saw fields that looked like they didn't have anything in it. Then it rained this week. The fields are green now. There there was seed in the field. They were waiting on rain and that sunshine to make that seed grow. The Lord provides that. You see, if a father has 10 sons, you probably better not mess with that father. If his sons are valiant and they love their dad, you better not say anything unkind about their dad. 
because they are going to come like arrows to his aid and to his defense. And in the gate of a city, that's where, that's where the courts were held. So if a false accusation is made, but that's also where cities, the battle was won and lost for a city. And if you have 10 sons and a brood and they're coming to defend, that's the imagery that the psalmist picks up on here. It'd be a stupid thing to pick a fight with that guy. I just can't get Deanie and Marlene's dad out of my mind, Cal. With all those children, when they, they have to rent the biggest tent they can get when they do a family reunion. And we can just slide into their family reunion. They don't even know if we're in place or not out of place. There's so many people there. You wouldn't want to do anything against that individual because they're coming from all around. You're probably standing right next to somebody who's in his family or knows his family. I'm thankful for the children the Lord has graciously given to us in this church. I'm thankful for the children that the Lord has given to Ginger and to me, to our daughters. I can't imagine serving without them. They love the Lord and they love to serve. And we love them. And we have enjoyed every season of their lives. Has it been perfect? I don't even need to say that. No. But we've enjoyed every season of their lives. And let me tell you, we've enjoyed the blessing of God's people loving our family. Now, not everybody does. There are some families who have been difficult as our family lives in a fishbowl. But those who love the family, those who invest into our children, oh, they make it a joy. But our joy is ultimately found in Christ. But I'm thankful for my children. I want them to know each of them. Love them. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for you. I can't imagine. We can't imagine serving in ministry without what God has given in our family. And in a wider way, we're part of a church family. So when someone in a family suffers, we all suffer. And we have people in our family, in our church family, that are suffering. We suffer with them. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Listen to what a German proverb says. Many children make many prayers and many prayers bring much blessing. If you have kids, you know what it is then to pray because you're quickly beyond your resources of knowing what to do in every situation. Am I right? So you have to trust the Lord. Honor in the gates abounds when the man's children rise up and defend their father. And the blessing overflows to the community. Joseph Hall was a bishop in England. And some great lord, some wealthy lord came to visit his family. And he had his kids all lined up, kind of like the Von Trapps, you know, and the sound of music. And they all like, plays the whistle and all the kids come reporting. I, I could, that's kind of how I picture this happening. But here he is and this great man is visiting his home in Waltham, England, And seeing all my children standing in order of their age and stature, he said this. Sounds like a Scrooge kind of a guy. These are they that make rich men poor. Well, here's how the bishop responded pastorally. Gave him his answer. Nay, my Lord, these are they that make a poor man rich. For there is not one of these whom we would part with for all your wealth. 
That's a mic drop centuries ago. That's a father defending his family and understanding that children are a heritage of the Lord. So take you, take your money, take all that, walk right out the front door because we don't need it. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Under the provident hand of God, our lives can have eternal significance. What we see here, live with a divine purpose, leave a devoted posterity. We devote our children to the Lord. We devote our lives. Lord, you take our kids. You use our kids. That's when we're dedicating children, I say it all the time, we're really dedicating the parents to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So here's three questions, all right? Three ways to respond. I want you to think about these. They're, they're in the bulletin. They're in the worship guide. Does my life look more like striving or trusting? Will you work with that question a little bit? Do, does my life look like striving or trusting? Second question is this, what am I doing to leave a lasting legacy? You have to answer that question, and we all do need to answer that question. What are you doing right now? Whatever age you are, this isn't just for, you know, retirement planning. This is every age. What am I doing to leave a lasting legacy And finally this, after Psalm 127, what needs to change? What in my daily schedule needs to change? What in my immediate relationships around me to leave a lasting legacy needs to change? And with God's grace and his help and his love, we can change and we can grow. Will you stand with me? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna respond in singing to the Lord of building our lives on him. Eternal and almighty God, who by your providence conducts and governs all creatures in this world, suffer us not to enterprise anything but what is agreeable to your will and pleasure, that we all together discontented with ourselves may wholly depend upon your blessing And that our only care may be that you are glorified in us and in our posterity through Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.